Our message today is titled, Seek First His Kingdom. Uh, it's taken from the scripture of Matthew chapter 6, verses 24 to 34. But before we begin, please pray with me. Father, we thank you for this time to gather today. We thank you, Father, for the words of scripture and the light they shine into the darkness. We thank you, Father, that you called us in our sinfulness and saved us out of our sinfulness, Father. Open our eyes to see and our ears to hear the words of Jesus today. I pray these words would be faithful to scripture and exalting of, your, of you, our Lord. May your name be forever praised and glorified. In Jesus' name, amen. So uh, I'd invite you to read along in the Bible today, book of Matthew, chapter 6, verses 24 to 34, as I read our passage. No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on it. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. That is the word of the Lord. I don't know about you, but I am a worrier. Well, not always, more often than I'd like to admit. I'm a co-owner in a business, so I worry about pleasing my clients. I worry about the well-being of my employees also. I am an elder here at All Souls, so I worry about people in our congregation who are sick or suffering or going through tough times, the trials of life. And as the church's treasurer, I even worry about our church having enough money to keep the air conditioning flowing. That was a joke. I am a father and a husband, so I worry about the physical, emotional, and spiritual well-being of my wife and children and my children's spouses. I am a Christ follower, so I worry about whether my faith is strong enough or whether I'm doing enough good works, which isn't very reformed of me, is it? I know, but I worry about it all the same. When I agreed to preach this Sunday, I almost immediately started worrying about what my topic would be and what I would say. 
Last month, I was on a business trip, and there were weather-related flight delays. I immediately started to worry. Will I make my connection? Will I make it home today? Will I be able to rent a car and drive home? How late will it be when I get home? Will I encounter traffic? Will there not be any rental cars and I have to stay overnight at a hotel? And all these thoughts came to me in the blink of an eye. In hindsight, the amount of mental energy, that is worry and anxiety I felt for about two hours makes me wonder who I trust. God or my own works and my ability to control life. Sure, I did pray about the situation, but I also worried. In hindsight, I'd rather I had prayed and then enjoyed a good book. When I made my connecting flight, I was, and I was confident that I was going to make it home that evening, I was then reflecting on the day and determined then and there that the topic of this sermon would be about worrying, because I needed to preach to myself. And fortunately for me, God has quite a bit to say about worry and anxiety. Lastly, the previous sermons that I have preached here at All Souls, I have forwarded to Pastor Luke in advance for comment, review, suggestions, feedback. For today's sermon, he was not able to provide feedback. So yeah, I'm worrying a little bit about that too. (laughs) So before getting into the text, I, I do want to give credit to James Montgomery Boyce's expositional commentary on the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, he, in fact, his three points that you will find in the bulletin are very close, um, to, to what I'm going to be using here. So the, the outline that you will find in the bulletin, uh, about seeking first his kingdom. The first point is you cannot serve both God and worry. That is not a typo. Uh, When we worry, we overlook God's care for his creation. And number three, only when we put God first, can we be sure of anything. So let's dig into point number one. You cannot serve both God and worry. You can easily find books and online articles about how anxious our culture has become. But all that anxiety we hear about really isn't a new phenomenon. Worry and anxiety were part of the culture of Jesus' day and well, and frankly, since the fall of mankind. Sure, there are different challenges today and different things that people worried about in Jesus' day, but many are the same that we still deal with today. Over 2,000 years ago, um, around 300 BC, a Greek philosopher, Epicurus, espoused the belief that the best way to relieve your anxiety was to practice indulgence. His philosophy known as Epicureanism was, and I'm paraphrasing, uh, don't worry about tomorrow because you don't know what tomorrow will bring. Therefore, eat, drink, and be merry so you'll feel better. Devotion to pleasure and comfort. This philosophy was present in Jesus' day, and I think we would all agree it's descriptive of our society today as well. Around that same time, there was also the philosophy of the Stoics. They practiced apathy. Their philosophy was do not worry about tomorrow. In fact, don't even think about tomorrow and don't devote any of your feelings or energy about tomorrow because if you don't feel, if you unplug, disconnect, you won't worry. Both of these philosophies put the self clearly in the driver's seat. In Epicureanism and Stoicism, we are our own master. As you might imagine, Jesus had a different idea about how to handle worry. He wanted his followers to serve God as their only master. But he also knew how easy it was 
for us as sinful humans to slip into idolatry and serve other masters. He knew worry, anxiety, self-preservation could easily become a harsh taskmaster. So he told his followers plainly, do not have divided loyalties. Remain faithful to the good master if you want your soul to be truly at rest. His followers needed to understand that their devotion to God must be complete because God can't and won't be shared. And we as sinful humans aren't capable of successfully having a divided heart. In verse 24, Jesus says, no one can serve two masters. No one, not any of us, hard as we try. We might think we can love God and want to control things ourselves, but Jesus is clear. No one can do this. Let's look at what happens when we try. Continuing in verse 24, Jesus said, we will hate the one and love the other, or we will be devoted to one and despise the other. As one goes up, the other comes down. As one pulls you in one direction, the other pulls you in the opposite direction. Imagine you have two drinking glasses. I, I should have brought a visual aid. One is empty and the other is full of water. Let's assume the water, full of water, represents our devotion or loyalty to something. And that this glass of full water is devoted to God. It's, it is our devotion to the Lord. The one that is empty is our devotion to some other master. Perhaps ourselves, some sin, some besetting sin, our desires, our need for control, the future. As we start to serve a master other than God, imagine pouring some of that water into the empty glass. Now that empty glass is no longer empty. It contains some of our devotion. But what happened to that glass that had our devotion to God? Well, that water level has gone down. The minute we start putting our energies into something other than God's unchanging eternal care, that is, the more we allocate our devotion from one glass to another, the more our level of devotion to God decreases and our worry for our future safety, our needs, our health, our wealth increases. The more we step away from God's control, the more we rely on our control. John Calvin once wrote about our tendency toward serving other masters. He said, man's nature, so to speak, is a perpetual factory of idols. You see, there is this tension between serving God and anything else. Jesus uses money as a concrete example to demonstrate to his followers how easy it is to slip into divided loyalty. Right before these passages in verse 19, which was part of the text that David read, Jesus tells his followers, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. And in the last part of verse 24, he lays it out plainly. You cannot serve both God and money. These two masters command contrary things, and the tension from trying to serve both produces worry and anxiety. How do we know that? Well, probably because we've all lived it, but Jesus talks about serving two masters and then begins verse 25 with an admonition. Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life. That therefore is our clue that what comes before is linked to what comes after. A therefore leads to B, or B is the result of A is, is the text. 
So what is A? Serving two masters, both God and money. What is B? Do not be anxious about your life. That's the before and the after. You can't serve God and money, nor can you serve God and fear, God and indulgence, God and sex, God and pleasure, God and porn, God and people, God and comfort, God and career, God and pick your idol. The focus of this message is on God and worry, but generally it's about idolatry and the worry and anxiety that results. Of course, Jesus' followers had many reasons to worry. They were under Roman occupation. Their future was uncertain. They had little to no status by Rome or Jewish leaders. It would have been extremely tempting to cling to what material things they could to bring a bit of safety or comfort or status. And this is right where Jesus is challenging them. A wonderful example of how divided loyalties results in worry and anxiety can be found in the story of Mary and Martha from Luke chapter 10, which David also read. If you recall, Martha was trying to do the serve two masters thing. She was serving her own reputation and the approval of those around her, but she was also trying to serve Jesus. What was the result? Well, the Bible tells us Martha was worried and upset. Another meaning of the word for upset here is turbulent. Martha was turbulent from her divided loyalties, and she was not at peace. Now, what about Mary? Mary's focus was singular. Her focus was only on Jesus. She was not worrying. She was not upset. She was not turbulent. She was present in the moment. She chose to serve the ultimate master, Jesus. And therefore, she, not Martha, was at peace. To summarize our first point, two masters command contrary things, whatever they are. God and money or God and anything else will lead to worry. And the tension between that causes anxiety. So we need to consider which master we are serving besides God that is causing our worry or anxiety. Let's move on to our second point, which is when we worry, we are overlooking God's care of his creation. Jesus wanted his followers to look at how God cared for his creation so they would not be anxious. Being in occupied Rome, it was easy to get anxious about many things, food being just one of them. But Jesus reminded his followers to examine God's care of the animals he created. In verse 26, Jesus says, Look at the birds. The word look here means examine or study. Look at how they go about doing their daily gathering of food and water. They don't store away in barns. They're not building wealth. Rather, birds behave and act as if they were created and that God provides for their needs. It's important to note that birds don't worry, but they do work. God doesn't magically fill their stomachs. They do, they do gather. Being in occupied Rome, it was easy to be anxious about being expendable. Jesus reminded his followers of God's providence over their own life. And in verse 27 says, consider your lifespan, the lifespan that God gave you. He then asks his followers if they knew of someone that by worrying or fretting was able to add an, an iota of an extra block of time to his or her life. Of course, the answer was no. God was reminding them that no matter how hard they think about and try to control their future, the fact was 
The future is up to God. It's in his hand. He is sovereign. God wanted them to focus on that. Also, being an occupied Roman, it's easy to be anxious about status and how the followers looked on the outside. And Jesus reminded them how beautiful God made the flowers. Ellicott Bible, Ellicott's Bible Commentary makes some observations about life in Roman-occupied Israel during Jesus' time and points out that Jesus' words would land hard with the Israelites because clothing was extremely important in that culture. What they wore determined their status and could even elevate someone. In verse 28, Jesus says, Look at the lilies. Really look. Look at how beautiful they are. And they did nothing on their own to make themselves beautiful. Beautiful. They were beautiful because God made them that way. The fields likely had white or purple flowers, the same colors that royalty wore at the time. And Jesus says in verse 29, they looked more splendid than Solomon was in all his glory. Their beauty was also fleeting. And in verse 30, Jesus reminds his followers of the fleeting nature of beauty by telling them that these gorgeous lilies and grasses of the fields would become dry and in a few weeks would dry out and get thrown into the ovens and used to bake bread. Jesus isn't saying that we shouldn't plan or save or give any thought to our lives or for food or clothing. As individuals or families, we need to take care of ourselves and those under our care. Other parts of scripture explicitly state Similar themes. For example, Ephesians 4.28 says, Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands, so that he may have something to share with, one, with anyone in need. And in 1 Timothy 5.8, Paul instructs us to care for one another by saying, But if anyone does not provide for his relatives, and especially for members of his household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. So we need to plan and prepare for meals and the events of life. In fact, we are obligated to provide for those under our care. But there's a fine line, and we must remember that planning and taking care of things under our stewardship is much different than letting those things rule over us as harsh taskmasters, which is essentially serving them. And when that happens, we are provoked to worry and anxiety. So to summarize our second point, and to put it quite bluntly, To serve God, we must trust God. If we're worrying, we're not fully trusting God to care for us, his children, in essence. When we worry, we are doubting God's ability to care. Because the truth is, our Father cared so much and loved so much that he sent his only son to die for us. How much more can God care for us than that? He gave his all. He gave everything. He lived a perfect life, yet suffered in our place. He deserved the death we, he, we deserve the death he died, and he was disparaged for our sake. He was sacrificed that we might enjoy life everlasting because he defeated sin and death. He now mediates on our behalf with the Father, and then he sent his Spirit to be our helper, who convicts us of our sin and transforms us into the image of Christ. So if he has done all of that, and he has, and then he tells us, do not worry, Well, I think he means what he says. We shouldn't worry. So remember when you begin to worry that our Father cares for us. He loves us. He knows us by name, and he knows what's best for us. 
Serving something other than God will lead to worry and anxiety. And he commands us not to do it. So the question is, what or who else do we serve besides God? Which brings me to the third point. Only when we put God first can we be sure of anything. The world makes sense when God is first and foremost in our lives. Serving two masters makes us worry. Having divided loyalties makes us anxious. Relying on ourselves for our material and physical needs will make us nervous. Planning and plotting out our futures rather than being grateful for the day, even grateful for the moment, will cause us to feel turbulent and restless, like Martha. So what does God want us to do instead of these things? Well, in verse 33, Jesus tells us exactly what to do. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. We are to put God at the head of our lives. Don't seek first our own understandings. Don't seek first our own comfort and welfare. Don't seek what we want to do. Don't seek sin. Don't seek the first. Don't seek first the approval of others. Don't seek first, first wealth or status or treasures. Don't seek first your plans and strivings for the future. Because all of these are uncertain and volatile. Rather, seek first God's kingdom and God's righteousness, which is certain and sure. Serving God's righteousness means putting him first in our lives, making him the center, obeying his commands, following his wills and his way. Jesus' point about not worrying was very important to him. He tells his followers, do not worry three times in this short passage. And he uses the specific word for worry or anxiety six different times. Remember, he came to earth. He, he lived a life that we couldn't live. He knows life is uncertain, turbulent, and downright scary at times. But nevertheless, he asks us to trust him. An example from the Old Testament that demonstrates this point is in the book of Genesis, uh, the, the passage that David read about Jacob. In Genesis 28, 15 through 21, God promises to Jacob that he will be with him wherever he goes. God is asking Jacob to trust in him. He is asking Jacob to give him his allegiance. And in verse 16, verse 16 God tells Jacob in a dream, Behold, I am with you and will keep you wherever you go, and I will bring you back to this land, for I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. Jacob was in awe of that dream, felt like he was in the middle of a holy place, and in verse 18, Scripture says he set up an altar, pours oil on it, and gives the place a name. So God has just promised to take care of Jacob, to fulfill the promises to Abraham and Isaac. Just five verses earlier, he had said that. And in verse 20, Jacob then makes a vow saying, if God will be with me, and if he will keep me in the way that I go, and if he will give me bread to eat and clothing to wear, so that I come again to my father's house, then the Lord shall be my God. I find it fascinating that Jacob's trust faltered so very quickly. But then I look at my own life. It didn't take Jacob long to start pouring some of that water of devotion from one glass to another and turn the tables and say, if you do these things, Lord, then you shall be my God. 
An interesting note about this passage is what Jacob is worrying about. His bread to eat, his clothing to wear, and his life. The exact three things that Jesus was teaching on the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus was most likely pointing his followers back to this passage in the Old Testament stories. The Israelites would have been very familiar with them. And he was pointing out Jacob's so very quick lack of faith to remind them how quickly Jacob began to worry and that God was faithful to Jacob, that God is trustworthy. The fact that they were there with Jesus and hearing the Sermon on the Mount was testimony that God is trustworthy. The Ten Commandments are clear from the beginning that we are not to have divided loyalties. The first commandment states, you shall have no other gods before me. The Westminster Shorter Catechism makes it clear from the beginning where our devotion should lie. The first question is, what is the chief end of man? And the answer is, you can probably all say this, but in your head, um, man's chief end is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. We can't fully glorify God if we're glorifying something else. Augustine wrote in his confessions about the rest that comes from seeking God's kingdom first. You have made us for yourself, O Lord, and our heart is restless until it rests in you. We were created to adore our creator. We were created to put God first. He knows that's what we need. He knows that's what's best for us. Making God our sole master puts us back into correct alignment in life. If we are created to know God and serve God as our master, then the only ultimately successful course in life is to trust God, which means seek, his, for, seek first his kingdom. Put things in the right order of perspective. Seek the eternal things. Seek the kingdom of God and his righteousness and his righteous ways, and all these physical things that you worry about will be put into perspective. And your heavenly Father, who knows your need, who knows what you need, will provide. Tim Keller, a former pastor at Redeemer Presbyterian in New York, once said, a fish absorbs oxygen from water, not air. So it's free only if restricted to water. If freed from water and put on grass, its freedom to move or live is destroyed. Freedom isn't the absence of restrictions. It's finding the right restrictions. What is water to a human being? Or what is the human equivalent of water? Well, it's loving God. Or in the words of, these passage, of this passage, it's seeking first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. So you may be saying, well, that's all well and good. Um, but if you're like me, you still worry. So what is the solution? Are we just hopeless? Well, yes. Um, but thanks be to God, we have a savior. I feel like that's a rhetorical Sunday school question because the answer is Jesus. He is our solution. He suffered and died for our sake so that we have eternal life. He has paid our penalty. We can rejoice in this free gift of salvation to all who call upon the name of the Lord. And while not worrying is best for us, it's unfortunately just not that easy because it's a daily choice to pick up our cross and follow him. Choosing to lay aside our natural tendencies and instead choosing to trust God amid life's difficult circumstances, amid suffering, and amid the trials of life, does not come naturally to us. Jesus tells us to consider the cost. 
Well, as his followers, we have all declared that he is our Lord. And if he is our Lord, he commands our allegiance. By recognizing that all the promises, of, promises that Christ makes in his Sermon on the Mount are for Christians, they are for us, we can take comfort knowing that God promises to care for us. He showers us with new mercies every morning. So in the midst of our worry, remember that he cares. We are precious in his sight. We also need to do all we can to learn about God's nature and his care of us. In Matthew 11, 28 through 30, Jesus says, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. As Christians, we should be desiring to learn as much as we can about our Lord, as this will help us to grow strong in our faith and be able, help us to be able to rest our anxious spirits by relying on our Lord. We need to know him and understand the grace he offers to us, his children. It also helps if we create a habit of tr turning first to God when we feel worry or anxiety approaching. Ideally, our reactions could become a, a learned response, kind of like a reflex. Like an athlete training his or her body, we need to train or discipline ourselves. As we turn to God when we worry over time, we should come to know the peace in the midst of trying circumstances or the storms of life. Doesn't mean we won't fail. After all, we're sinful. But nevertheless, we should strive. My fleshly nature is to worry, but that is not my born-again nature. The problem is, more often than I'd like to admit, I don't live like I've been born again. In addition to hearing the word preached, I need to preach to myself. I need to read and meditate on the word of God. I need to be in prayer to my Heavenly Father, asking in the name of Jesus that the Holy Spirit continue transforming my heart of stone into a heart of flesh. And this can only happen when Christ is the primary pursuit in my life. If God is not at the center, then I am. And that's a recipe for disaster and worry. So as we go from here today, let's remember that number one, we cannot serve both God and worry. We cannot have divided loyalties because one will win and the other will lose. When we worry, we overlook God's care of his creation and how valuable we are to God as well as the mercies offered at the cross. And third, only when we put God first can we be sure of anything. Jesus is encouraging us here to focus on eternal matters, not earthly ones. It is unproductive to worry about the here and now. Instead, focus on the grace that Christ bought at the cross. So let us seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. Obey his commands because we trust him. Trust him because we know him. Know him because we read scripture. Pray to him because in scripture he commands us to and he wants a relationship with us. Only when Jesus is our center will we have a chance to conquer worry by the power of the Holy Spirit working in us. Amen. Please pray with me. Father, we are worriers and we are so reluctant to fully trust you. So. Help us to live our lives seeking your kingdom and your righteousness first and foremost, and then trusting that you will provide for our needs. 
Help us to reflect on the cross where you took our sin and worry that we might worship and trust you. Help us remember every day your promises to care for us and to trust you as children. We thank you for the work of Christ and the promises of scriptures, and we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.